Chapter Two of the Third Person. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anthony Orr. The Third Person by Henry James. Chapter Two. At ten o'clock that evening, the pair separated, as usual, on the upper landing, outside their respective doors, for the night. But Miss Amy had hardly set down her candle on her dressing table before she was startled by an extraordinary sound, which appeared to proceed not only from her companion's room, but from her companion's throat. It was something she would describe, as she has had she ever described it, as between a gurgle and a shriek, and it brought Amy fresh after an interval of stricken silence that gave her just enough time to say to herself, Someone's under the bed, breathlessly and bravely back to the landing. She had not reached it, however, before her neighbour bursting in, met in and stayed her. There's someone in my room. They held each other. But who? A man. Under the bed? No, just standing there. They continued to hold each other but they rocked. Standing? Where? How? Why, right in the middle, before my dressing-glass. Amy's blanched face by this time matched her mate's, but it was terror was entranced by circulation. To look at himself? No, with his back to it. To look at me. Poor Susan just audibly breathed. To keep me off, she quavered, in strange clothes, of another age, with his head on one side. Amy wondered. On one side? Awfully. The refugee declared while clinging together they sounded each other. This, somehow, for Mrs. Amy, was a convincing touch, and on it, after a moment, she is capable of the effort of darting back to close her own door. You'll remain then with me. Oh, Miss Susan wavered with deep assent, quite as if she had been a slangy person, she would have ejaculated, rather. So they spent the night together, with the assumption thus marked, from the first, both that it would have been vain to confront that visitor as they didn't even pretend to each other that they would have confronted a housebreaker, and that by leaving the place this mostly nothing worse could happen than had already happened. It was Miss Amy's approaching the door again with intent ear, and after a hush, that represented between them a deep and extraordinary interchange, that it was this that put them promptly face to face with the real character of the occurrence. Ah, Miss Susan, still under her breath, pointlessly explained. It isn't anyone. No. Her partner was already able magnificently to take her up. It isn't anyone who can really hurt us, Miss Susan completed her thought. And Miss Amy, as it proved, had been so indescribably prepared at, at, at this thought, before morning, had in the strangest, finest way, made for herself an admirable place within them. The person was the elder of our pair, had seen in her room, well, not, well, just simply was not anyone in from outside. He was a different thing altogether. Miss Amy had felt it as soon as she heard her friend cry and become aware of her commotion. At soon, at all events, as she saw Miss Susan's face. That was all. And there it was. There had been something hitherto wanting, they felt, to their small fate and importance. It was present now, and they were as handsomely conscious of it as if they had previously missed it. The element in question, then, was a third person in their association. A hovering present for the dark hours, a figure that with its head very much too much on one side, could be trusted to look at them out of unnatural places, yet only, it doubtless might be assumed, to look at them. They had at last, had what things to be had in an old house, what many, too many things had happened, where the very walls they touched and floors they trod could have told secrets and named names, where every surface was a blurred mirror of life and death, of the endured, the remembered, the forgotten. Yes, the place was hut, but they stopped at using the word, and by morning, Wonderful to say, they were used to it. They had quite lived into it. Not only this, indeed, but they had lived their prompt theory, 
there was a connection between finding the box in the vault and the appearance in Miss Susan's room. The heavy air of the past had been stirred by the bringing to light of what had so long been hidden. The communications of the papers to Mr. Patton had had its effect. They faced each other in the morning, at breakfast over the certainty that their queer rouse innate was a sign of the violated secret of these relics. No matter. For the sake of the secret they were put up with his attention, and this in them was the most beautiful of all. They must, though he was such an addiction to their grandeur, keep him quite to themselves. Other people might hear of him, what he was not in the letters, but they should never hear of him. They were not afraid that either of the maids should see him. He was not a matter for maids. The question was indeed whether, should he keep it up long, they themselves might find it they could really live with him. Yet perhaps in his keeping it up would be just what really made them indifferent. They turned these things over, but spent the next nights together, and on the third day, in the course of their afternoon walk, described at a distance the vicar, who, as soon as he saw them, waved his arms violently, either as a warning or as a joke, and came more than halfway to meet them. It was in the middle, or what passed for such, of the big, bleak, blank, melancholy square of Mar, a public place, as it were, of such an absurd capacity for a crowd, with the great ivy-mantled choir and stopped transept of the noble-planned church telling of how many centuries ago it had, for its part, given up growing. "'Why, my dear ladies,' cried Mr. Patton as he approached, "'do you know what, of all things in the world, I seem to make out for you from your funny old letters?' Then as he waited extremely on their guard now, "'neither more nor less, if you please, than one of your antests in the last century. Mr. Cuthbert Frush, it would seem, by name, was hanged.' They never knew afterwards which of the two had found composure, found even dignity, to respond. "'And pray, Mr. Patton, for what?' "'Ah, that's just what I don't yet get a hold of. But if you don't mind me digging away,' and the vicious, bushy, drolly brows turned from one lady to the other, "'I think I can run it to earth. They hanged in those days, you know,' he added as he had seen something in their faces, "'for almost any trifle.' "'Oh, I hope it wasn't a trifle,' Miss Susan strangely tittered. Yes, of course, one would say that, while he was about it. Well, as it had been, as they say. Mr. Patton laughed, rather for a sheep than for a lamb. Did they hang at the time for a sheep? Miss Amy wonderingly asked. It made our frame last. The question's whether he did. We'll find out. We'll soon find out. Upon my word, you know, I can quite want to myself. I'm awfully busy. But I think I can promise you that you shall hear. You don't mind, he insisted. I think we could bear anything, Miss Susan gazed at her. On this, as for reference and appeal, and what is he, after all, at this time of day, to us? Her kinswoman, making the eyeglass fixedly, spoke with gravity. Oh, an ancestor's always an ancestor. Well, said and well felt, dear lady, the vicar declared. Whatever they have made done is done. It isn't everyone, Miss Amy replied, that has them to be ashamed of. We're not ashamed, yes, Miss Frush jerked out. Let me promise, then, that you shan't be. Only for I am busy, said Mr. Patton. Give me time. Ah, but we want the truth, they cried with high emphasis as he quitted them. They were much excited now. He answered by pulling up and turning round short, as his professional character had been challenged. Isn't it just in the truth, and the truth only, that ideal? Just that they recognised as much of a love as of a joke. And so <laughs> they were left there together in a pleasant, if slightly overdone, void of the square, which wore at moments the air of a conscious demonstration, intended as an appeal, of the shrinkage of the population of Mar to a solitary cat. They walked on after a little, but they waited till the vicar was ever so far away before they spoke again. All the more that they in doing so must 
bring them once more to a pause. Then they had long looked, hanged, said Miss Amy, yet almost exultantly. This was, however, because it was not she who had seen it. That's why his head. But Miss Susan faltered. Her companion took it in. Oh, it's such a dreadful twist. It is dreadful, Miss Susan at last dropped, speaking as if she had been present at least twenty executions. There would have been no saying, at any rate, what it didn't evoke from Mrs. Amy. It breaks their neck, she contributed after a moment. Miss Susan looked away. That's why, I suppose, the head turned so fearfully awry. It's a most particular effect. So particular, it might have seemed, that it made them silent afresh. Well, then, I hope he killed someone, Miss Amy broke out at last. Her companion thought, wouldn't it depend on whom? No, she returned with her characteristic briskness, a briskness that set them again into motion. That Mr. Patton was so tremendously busy was evident indeed, as by, even by the end of the week he had nothing more to impart. The old thing, meanwhile, came up again on the Sunday afternoon, as the younger Miss Frush had been quite confident that, from one day to the other, it must. They went intermittently to evening church, on the close of which supper was postponed, and Miss Susan, on this occasion, ready the first, patiently awaited her mate at the foot of the stairs. Miss Amy at last came down, buttoning a glove, rustling the tail of her frock, and looking at her kinswoman, always thought, conspicuously young and smart. There was no one at Mars, she held, who dressed like her, and Miss Amy, it must be owned, had also settled to this view of Miss Susan. They had taken it in a different spirit. Dusk had gathered, but our frugal pair were always tardy lighters, and the grey close of the day, in which the elder lady, on a high-backed hall-chair, sat with hands patiently folded, had for all cheer the subdued glow, always subdued, of the small fire in the drawing-room, visible through a door that stood open. Into the drawing-room Miss Amy passed in search of the prayer-book. She had laid it down there after morning church, and from it, after a minute, without this volume, she returned to her, her companion. There was something in the move movement that spoke, spoke for a moment so largely that nothing more was said till, with a quick unanimity, they had got themselves straight out of the house. There, before the door, in the cold, still twilight of the winter's end, while the church bells rang and the windows of the great choir showed up across the empty square faintly red, they had it out again. But it was Miss Susan, this time, who had it to bring it. He's there, before the fire, with his back to it. Well, now you see, Miss Susan explained with elation, as if her friend had hitherto doubted to her. Yes, I see, and what you mean, Miss Amy was deeply thoughtful. About his head? It is on one side, Miss Amy went on. It makes him... She considered, but she felt as if still in his presence. It makes him awful, Miss Susan murmured, the way, soft, she softly moaned, he looks at you. Miss Amy, with a glance, met this recognition. Yes, doesn't he? Then her eyes attached themselves to the red windows of the church. But it means something. The Lord knows what it means, her associate gloomily sighed. Then, after an instant, did he move? Miss Susan asked. No, and I didn't. Oh, I did, Miss Susan declared recalling to a more precipitous retreat. I mean, I took my time. I waited. To see him fade? Miss Amy, for a moment, said nothing. He doesn't fade. That's it. Oh, then you did move, her relative rejoined. Again, for a little while, she was silent. One has to. But I don't know what really happened. Of course I came back to you. What I mean is that I took him thoroughly in. He's young, she added. But he's bad, Miss Susan said. He's handsome, Miss Amy brought out after a moment. She showed himself prepared to continue. Splendidly. Splendidly? With his neck broken and that terrible look? It's just the look that makes him so. It's the wonderful eyes. They mean something, Amy Frush brooded. She spoke decision of which Amy presently betrayed the effect. And what do they mean? 
her friend stared again at the glimmering windows of St. Thomas of Canterbury, that it's time we should get to the church. End of chapter 2 Recording by Anthony Orr